Coming up, the AFC West is flipped upside down. Football season in New York is done. The Steelers are in last place and the NFL tries to reinvent the wheel. Those are some of the storylines I'll discuss as week three is just about complete. If the Yankees are on fire, then what are the St. Louis Cardinals? The final week of the baseball season is here. I'll tell you who's answering the bell and who is not home as far as making the postseason. The once mighty Clemson Tigers can kiss whatever chances of qualifying for a college football playoff in 2021 as they are the top story in college football this week. For all the talk about the U.S. going into the Ryder Cup this weekend, they sure came out like gangbusters in a decisive romp over the Europeans. What was the fuel behind their surprising weekend in Wisconsin? Ben Simmons wants a divorce from Philadelphia. Will it be that simple? Let the bidding war begin for the Mercurial Point Guard as training camp throughout the association opens up this week. So autumn is here, the weather is changing, September is coming to a close, but the sports universe continues to flourish, as I'll detail all the above and then some, but first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the Jay Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms, on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I can flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And how could you not be? If you live in the Northeast, these last three days have been picturesque. Are you starting to feel the shift? The days are shorter. The lights are turned on a little earlier. The morning air is refreshing as it adds a bit of an extra pep as you walk out of the door. 
hazy, hot, and humid have been replaced by cool, crisp, and comfortable, it must be fall, as the weather has been nothing short of perfect, and there are plenty coming as we're just getting started, which is the same for this podcast, as there's lots to dive in on this final week of September, so sit back, relax, thank you for stopping by, and let me entertain and inform you on all that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me for now 216 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, September the 27th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. Before I get to my J Reels What's the Deal segment, a special happy birthday shout-out to my other half, my better half, I won't reveal her age, but to Nerys Nini Maldonado, I love you dearly, happy birthday, and may you have many, 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 many more to come in this lifetime and beyond. Now let's get to it. J Reels What's the Deal is as follows. The Clemson Tigers, who have made the college football playoff the last six years, will not see a seventh as they lose a shocker over the weekend to NC State and what was by far the biggest news coming out of college football on Saturday. I'll get into that as well as the conclusion of the baseball season is upon us and we're down to the final week with the Yankees red hot and the Cardinals white hot as they have their sights set on October. I'll deliver an up to the second pennant chase to see who's still alive and who's on life support. After weeks of speculation, it's now official in Philadelphia that Ben Simmons wants out and will not report to the 76ers training camp as league-wide opens up as early as today. But with that being said, I've talked about it for weeks, but we'll go deep on the effect that this may have on a Sixer team with lofty expectations heading into this year. And then there's the golf, where it looked like the U.S. team took a page out of Michael Jordan's playbook taking it personally that they had little to no shot of winning the Ryder Cup and whistling straights over the weekend. I'll review the surprising results and a thought of what possibly led them to playing their most inspiring golf in quite some time. All of that, including my hero in zero of the week. But the NFL will kick us off here today because with baseball next week, and I get it that everybody's NFL-centric, NFL-driven right now. It's the sport that pretty much takes control. And I try to sprinkle it in with some baseball last week as I opened up with the playoffs. And I get that this time next week, you know I'm going to open up with the baseball because the hunt for Red October will begin. But I'll hold off on talking about what's happening in the latest and greatest on the diamond after the football segment because the NFL yesterday had just another one of those topsy-turvy, crazy, wacky, zany, with plays, record-breaking field goals in the last second of games, leaving time on the clock for a quarterback that was embattled throughout the spring and summer, takes their team to victory. So much that you could get into. And that's the one thing, and what's great about the NFL, when you looked at the schedule this past week, and we saw the games upcoming, which were highlighted by the Thursday night game, Carolina and Houston, which, if you watched... You got to be a die-in-the-wool NFL fan. I know there's a lot of you out there, and me included, but sorry, I wasn't going to tune in to watch every snap of that game as Carolina wins 24-9. They're 3-0, and and even made a trade to get a corner in C.J. Henderson because they lost J.C. Horn, their number one pick from this year. He's going to be out for the year. So the Panthers, they are not playing around knowing that this could be a year where, eh, Super Bowl expectations, maybe that's a little bit too ambitious. But they know that year in, year out, when you have a team that's played well from the start and they try to continue that trend throughout the course of the year, especially a team that I thought 
We're going to be a bit of a surprise. Granted, week schedule to start, but you want to keep that iron hot. You want to be able to put the pedal to the metal. And with Tampa losing yesterday to LA, and with the Falcons getting their first win, but nobody's going to expect them to threaten, and even with the Saints winning in Foxborough, the team that is tops in the NFC South are the Carolina Panthers when you wake up this morning. So they're doing whatever it takes to get that good feel, to get that goodwill, not only throughout the team, but the city, the organization, etc. So kudos to them as they kicked off the week three festivities throughout the league. But when we look back at the winners and losers, and there were quite a few, and I'll get right to it. Winners were two teams that you rarely see when we break down any week, let alone this week. I'll start off with the Los Angeles Chargers. And granted, they got a few breaks to start off the game. The Chiefs' first three possessions all translated to turnovers. They were able to convert that to 14 points. Justin Herbert, who in year two is looking like a seasoned vet, was able to march on down the field, get some key scores. And even with the rookie head coach in a one, Brandon Staley, the former Ram defense coordinator, you got to give him credit because late in the game, they had a fourth and four deep in chief territory. Not deep. They were probably at around the 32-yard line. And then they had an illegal procedure on the offense to where they were pushed back to a fourth and nine. And they still went for it on both occasions. They were going for it on fourth and four. They went for it on fourth and nine. They converted. They were able to put the pressure on the chief defense, which a lot of people aren't going to be confused with the old 1969 Super Bowl champion defense of Super Bowl four. And here it was. A huge division road game for a young team that's trying to make its mark with the quarterback and obviously the head coach. And to be aggressive, to know that field goals aren't going to cut it, Despite the fact that the Chiefs, even after stubbing their toe last week in Baltimore where they had an 11-point lead and they were able to squander that to where the Ravens won and then to come out of the gate slow, then get their sea legs and it looked like it was going to be a typical Kansas City Chief home victory against a team that for all intents and purposes would be a rung or two below them, not necessarily just in the division but of course throughout the conference and give it up. Chargers with a magnificent job getting this victory in their back pocket. And who would have thought that three games in, and mind you, three games is not half a season. It's not three quarters of a season. And it's certainly not the end of the season. But the Kansas City Chiefs are now in last place in the AFC West. Two games behind both the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. And technically a game and a half behind the Chargers with the loss yesterday at Arrowhead. My second winner goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. And give it up for what they've done here early on. All right, they had an opening week victory against the Minnesota Vikings, who have been game so far this early in the season, especially with the way Kirk Cousins has been throwing the football. And then last week, all right, the Bears, Andy Dalton, they had a lead, they tried to come back, fell short. Well, you talk about division wins on the road, and we just did with the Chargers. And for a young Bengal team, again, pretty much a carbon copy of what we just talked about. For them to go into Pittsburgh, and we know Pittsburgh with the aging quarterback and pretty much on their last legs here, and I'll get to them, as you well know, in a little bit. 
But for them to come out 7 nothing, and even though the Steeler offense was sputtering, they were able to tie the game, but they remained cool, calm, and collected to where they were able to get the late touchdown in the first half, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase to make it 14-7, and they were pretty much in control throughout the course of the game. Without T.J. Watt, without their best defensive player, let's call it as we see it, and without a pass rush throughout the whole day to where the Steelers did not gain a sack for the first time in 75 games, which is an NFL record, but to keep Burrow protected, they were able to run the ball a little bit with a one Joe Mixon. Jamar Chase got another touchdown there later on in the second half, and pretty much with 24-7, Steelers had an opportunity there where they weren't able to convert at 24-7, even at 24-10. And the Bengals with a surprising, and let's face it, I won't go as far as saying dominant, but they were in total control of this game to where there was no doubt that they were going to lose. So give it up for Zach Taylor, give it up for Joe Burrow, give it up for the Bengal defense that got four sacks on Roethlisberger, and they went on to cruise to a 24-10 victory. So those are my two winners to start us off. And then my losers of the week. I have to start off with the Detroit Lions. And of course, I had to come at the expense of the Baltimore Ravens to where they had no business, absolute zero business winning this game. So the Lions were down 16-14 there with about five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson throws an inexcusable and inexplicable interception to where the Lions march on down the field. They were able to kick a field goal there with about, was less than, maybe about a minute nine to go. So now the Ravens have the ball. They weren't able to move an inch. In fact, they're going backwards to the point where it's fourth and 19. Lamar Jackson is scrambling around for his life. And then when he has some time, he converts on a fourth and 19 to where they get the ball to midfield. And then after that, they had to spike the ball. So it sets up for a 66-yard field goal. And if there's any guy in the league, and we know that there's some very good kickers in this league, but if there's any guy in the league that you would probably put first at the top of the kicking draft, and I'm not talking about punters, I'm talking about place kickers. If there's anybody in the league that can make this kick, you'd have to circle number nine in Baltimore for Justin Tucker to make this kick good snap nice hold the kick is up it looks like it's long enough hits the crossbar goes through to the back of the net good final seconds of the game Ravens run out of the Motor City with a gift from the gods and it would only be the Lions and probably one of my next two teams that I'm going to talk about as far as my losers that probably would have had the same fate but man That wasn't a gut punch. That was a kick to the groin and a wallop on top of the dome. Because the Lions were looking to get their first win. Their Lions with the new head coach and obviously with the new quarterback there, Jared Goff, who played pretty well. But boy, to lose in that fashion, there's no other way to put it. So the Lions, sadly, my loser number one, My loser number two is a combined effort. And that's both the Jets and the Giants. Now again, you can see the Jets losing a game like that. Maybe even the Giants too. But we all know over the last 
15 years, more so early on in that decade and a half where the Giants had so much success, the Super Bowl wins, the Patriots, we all know the whole deal. But for the Giants, and I'll start with them, for them to not show up, not play well, and Daniel Jones wasn't the guy that was the GOAT of this game. He actually played pretty well for him, did fumble, but he was able to recover it. But having a Falcon team whose defense is pretty much resemblance of Swiss cheese, yes, you still have Matt Ryan, yes, you have a couple of weapons there on offense, especially with the wide receivers and obviously the tight end, Calvin Ridley, and the tight end rookie, Kyle Pitts. But you would think that even as poor as the Giants have been, that they would be able to just muster enough to be able to get one point better or be one point better than the Falcons at home on a sun splash Sunday afternoon, that wasn't the case. In fact, the victors of the one point went to the team that plays in the ATL. And if you're a Giant fan, you have to be pulling your hair out of your head because with this coach, with this regime, and I have to throw Dave Gettleman, the GM, in the mix, as a fan, you are hands up, head going left to right, looking for answers, frustrated, angry, annoyed, aggravated. Any word you want to put in there, you've had enough. Because when is this team going to be able to beat even a bad team? Especially when you're a bad team yourself. And this was a prime example of a bad team not being able to do that. And with New Orleans and Dallas on the schedule upcoming, Giant starts are synonymous with 0-4, 0-5, 0-6. Just look at the track record pretty much since that Super Bowl year. They have gotten out of the gate as slow as you possibly can be for what it seems like an eternity. When have you seen the Giants get off to a 2-0 start? 3-0, 4-1, 5-2. You haven't seen it. It's the same old, same old from an organization, as I said, who has had so much success here over the last 15 years that's front-loaded, but you would think that even with the quarterback gone and Eli Manning, even with Tom Coughlin, who won those Super Bowl trophies way back when, it seems, and even when you bring in a guy like Pat Shermer or Ben McAdoo or now Joe Judge, the song remains the same. And you have to wonder, even during the halftime ceremony where Eli Manning was going to get his number 10 in the Ring of Honor, the fans were booing the owners, the Maras, and they took it like champs. But you have to wonder, when is this thing going to turn around? So they might lose a number one, and then the Jets, what could you say? A goose egg in Denver yesterday. Zach Wilson, there's going to be more days like this. And just as I said before, for the Giant fan, the Jet fan is feeling the same way. They're probably thinking right now, with the success that Sam Donald is having in just three games to start the season, they're looking at Zach Wilson right now as, oh my God, we're going to have to draft another quarterback, quite possibly, if we have the number one pick overall. You know the Jets aren't going to do that, because why are they going to draft back-to-back years? But the point of the matter is, is that they have to let this guy play. they got to let him learn. Jet fans, what were you expecting? 6-11? and 11? 7 and 10? 5 and 12? You won what? Two games last year or three games, whatever it was? It wasn't going to get any better. As I said in the NFL preview, you figure six would be, you'd jump for joy. But it's looking like a long season. Zach Wilson does not have it figured out. You got to give him time. 
But man, for both New York teams, it is not looking good as they're both 0-6. And you could punt this season goodbye because there's no way, shape, or form that either one of these teams are going to be anywhere near a wildcard chase in the NFL this season. I also have a third loser for this week, and I'll make this quick. It's going to go to the National Football League. Because what are they trying to do in reinventing the wheel by moving one of the Super Wildcard games over the weekend to Monday night? Why? We understand that they're juggernaut. We understand that they're bulletproof. We understand that the shield reigns supreme in the sports world. But for them to push one of the wildcard games, so you're going to take the Saturday 1 o'clock game and put it to a Monday night at 8.15, I think what they're trying to do is break up all the marriages or the relationships for husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, you name it, because how is it possible for the NFL to do that and for what? They want to get more ratings? They want to get more viewers? This league stands alone among any sport in this country, even in the world. So have the Saturday 1, 4.15 or 4.30 and 8.15 on both days like you did last year, but for them to want to be cute and to, hey, let's push it to a Monday night game, to me, it makes no sense. So could you imagine? You start off your new year, well, now it's actually going to be the weekend after the new year because remember, with the 17-game schedule, this is actually going to start in the middle of January, not the first weekend or the second week, I should say. So what you're going to have here is, oh, hey, honey, uh, the NFL playoffs are going to start with just two games today, but then three games tomorrow. Oh, okay, great. But wait a minute. Didn't last year they had three games on one day and three games on the other? Oh, yeah, you're right, honey. But this time they took one of the games from Saturday and they moved it to Monday night. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So you mean to tell me that there's going to be football on three straight days, including Saturday night, Sunday night, and now Monday night? Yes, sweetheart. Is that okay? That's what the NFL has done. And boy, I tell you, what's the need? What's the purpose? These games could be broadcasted at 2 in the morning. And that's probably going to be the next step. Because they're probably going to want to cater to some part of the world outside of America to where, who knows, whether it be London, whether it be Australia, whether it be in Japan. They'll move these games whenever and wherever they feel like. Because the NFL always has their chests puffed out, and they feel like, hey, let's put a game on Monday night. Why not? What's going to be next? I don't like it. Keep it on the weekend. There's no need. And we still have plenty of months to chew on this until it happens, but I felt it was unnecessary. Keep playoff football on a weekend. Nobody wants to see this on a Monday night. No one. At least I don't. All right, so let me move on to the games to recap a week three. Tonight, you have Philadelphia at Dallas, which is an interesting matchup because Jalen Hurts and what he did week one and last week obviously wasn't the same, did not play well against San Francisco to where Dallas had that miraculous win last week where Greg Zerline had the 56-yard field goal to end the game out in LA against the Chargers and they have their first home game tonight, so... The sports world will shine on in Dallas 
to see what that outcome will be between two NFC East foes. But with the schedule yesterday, I guess you have to start it with the Rams and Bucks. That was the highlight game to where the Rams were pretty much in control. Slow start. They were able to get their passing game going where Matthew Stafford threw four touchdowns. And I know you're already hearing the talk. Oh, he's already the front runner for the MVP. Can we get to week eight or week nine before we can talk about that, people? That's all you hear on these talk shows or on the radio to start us off. Whoa, Matthew Stafford, what a year he's having. The touchdowns, the difference in LA. Just start penciling him in for the MVP. Stop. Can we stop? Give him credit. They're off to a great start. They disposed of Tampa yesterday in which they should have done at home. Remember, they beat him last year. Obviously, no Stafford in Tampa. But knowing that they have a leg up in the conference, beating a team that they probably will see at some point down the road, but a big and pretty much decisive win because it was a whole hum game when you think about it. Despite Stafford and his brilliance throwing touchdowns all over the lot, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, etc., so the Rams win a big game. They go to 3-0. and And Tampa, I know a lot of the talk was 20-0 and early on. Or there were whispers of Brady wanting to focus in on trying to go undefeated. Well, it only took three weeks before that was over and done. But now, and I'll get to the Tampa-New England thing later on when we review week four. But that was your game of note. I know the other big game yesterday was the Sunday night game between the Packers and 49ers. Very good game, although the Packers were in control early on. The Niners came on strong late. And as we see, whenever you put time on the clock, and it was interesting because watching this live, I know that as the Niners were going down the field and George Kittle caught that pass in the flat and he went up the sideline and did not go out of bounds. Mind you, the Niners had three timeouts. At that point, I think the clock was at 125 And you heard Collinsworth made a mention of how Kittle, and even thinking real-time with Collinsworth, how that was a great play for Kittle to stay in bounds. If he would have went out of bounds, it stops the clock. Yes, I understand you can reset your plays, whatever. But no, you want to make sure that there's little to no time left on the clock in order for Aaron Rodgers and that offense to stay on the sideline or at that point maybe even go into the locker room. What happened? Kyle Juszczyk makes the catch out of the backfield. A lot of the defense was... Tailored towards George Kittle, left Usek open. He punches it into the end zone. 37 seconds left. Now you're thinking, all right, is that going to be enough time with no timeouts for Aaron Rodgers? I thought so right off the bat. And what was a terrible play, again, when the Niners kicked off, and Collinsworth did not say this, when the Niners kicked off, why are you kicking it to the back of the end zone? Even if you, I'm not going to say pooch it because you want to make him. You want to let the returner earn his yards. You don't want to give them any more yards. And I get that's probably part of the reason maybe why they wanted to kick it in the end zone. But even if you kick it to, let's say, the one-inch line, the returner has to run it out. He's not going to take a knee there. I understand he can let the ball bounce, but that's risky too because then, of course, the ball could be recovered by the kicking team. The point of the matter is, is that you want to kick it before the end zone because you want the clock to run. And that's one thing that Collinsworth didn't say. He didn't even mention it after the kick or even before the kick, that you want to kick this as short as possible to the point where you want him to return the ball. All right, if he returns at 100 yards for a touchdown, give him credit. You should have made a stop. And I understand that will be the biggest second guess of all time. But the bottom line is, is that you would have had three, four, or five seconds off the clock to where now Rodgers is really going to be frantic to try to get the ball downfield. And as you saw, two pass plays, 
Three seconds left. Mason Crosby, 51 yards. Game's over. And now Green Bay has pretty much righted the ship. I know they won on Monday night against Detroit. They were down at the half. Did not play well in the first half. But they were able to dispose of the Lions. And then now, with a big win on the road. And San Francisco, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you got to be shaking your head. Because special teams there, you have to... I understand Yusek probably could have taken a knee or could have fallen down at the two-yard line. But we all know football players aren't conditioned to do that. Okay, so that, you give them a pass. But what's not a pass is to kick the ball into the end zone to where the clock doesn't move, you get them at the 25, and we saw what happened. To breeze through a couple of other games, Cleveland just ambushed poor Justin Fields to the point where they had one net yard passing. He had 68 in the game, he was 6 for 20, poor kid. Sacked nine times. Miles Garrett had four and a half sacks. As the Browns win 26-6. And the Bears, who knows. Matt Nagy could be first coach on the plank as far as being fired here in 2021. Also another game, Arizona at Jacksonville. To me, even with Jacksonville having a lead, the play of the game was Matt Prater. And who would have thought that I believe Matt Prater has the, or had I should say, past tense, the Longest field goal in NFL history when he was a member of the Broncos. He kicked a 64-yarder, if I'm not mistaken, which could have been tied off the top of my head, but I know Prater was the one that broke Tom Dempsey's record. Well, here it is. Right before the half, he's attempting a 68-yard field goal. 68. And if he would have made it, now Tucker, he would have been heralded as a hero because it won the game and it was the final ticks of the clock. But here it is. At 68 yards, Jamal Agnew catches it at the back of the end zone and he runs 109 yards for a touchdown, which has only been equaled by Antonio Cromartie, who did that, I believe it was against the Vikings at the old Metrodome back in, off the top of my head, I think it was 2007. So Agnew had pretty much arguably the play of the day, but it wasn't enough as Kyler Murray was able to Throw for 316 yards. The Cardinals still remain perfect. And Jacksonville, 0-3. Not a good game for Trevor Lawrence as he's going through his own growing pains as one of the young quarterbacks a la Justin Fields, a la Zach Wilson. And let's even throw a la Mac Jones because they lose in Foxborough to the Saints, 28-13. And I know that Belichick had to cringe not only looking at the stat sheet but knowing that his quarterback had to throw 51 times in a game I'm sure it made him sick. But the Saints pretty much came marching in and threw Foxborough 28-13. So the growing pains for these young quarterbacks continue as we saw up there in Foxborough. The Tennessee Titans have taken an early stranglehold of the AFC South, putting the Indianapolis Colts, who made the postseason last year, in an 0-3 hole. Match that with Jacksonville's 0-3 and then Houston losing on Thursday night to Carolina to where they're 1-2. Now, mind you, they're only a game ahead in the division when you look at it, but this is Tennessee's division to lose. If they don't go running away with this, then there needs to be an investigation as they win 25-16. Derrick Henry, I know, has just been a bowling ball here these last two weeks. Another 113 yards on the ground or a 100-yard game, I should say, to go up with the 100-plus that he had just in the second half alone against the Seattle Seahawks there last week in a thrilling come-from-behind win. So Tennessee right now is putting their feet up and looking pretty good there early on in an AFC South, which looks like they're going to have three losing teams at best 
The Bills, after a 35-0 shutout in Miami last week, put it on the Washington football team, jumped out to a 21-0 lead, although Washington made it interesting, but then Josh Allen, 300 and what, 50-some-odd yards in the air, coupled that with some touchdowns to Emmanuel Sanders, a couple there in his back pocket, and a 43-21 victory by the Bills as everything looks right in Buffalo after a week one. And when you think about it, it almost seems an inexplicable loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And trust me, I'm going to get to the Steelers. You had the Dolphins put a little scare in my knockout pool pick to where they scored a touchdown in the very final seconds of the game against the Raiders. And then after trading field goals to start where the Raiders kicked a field goal in overtime, followed by the Dolphins. And then with no time on the clock, Daniel Carlson kicked one through the uprights. The Raiders 3-0, Dolphins 1-2, and and Jacoby Brissett, although did not put up a lot of yards in the air, but was efficient in the short passing game, which you know they were going to play safe with Tua, who's now on the IR with the rib injury. And the Dolphins, uh, they look like they're going to have a long year. And even that could have been with Tua in the lineup. But give it up for the Raiders, 3-0 start. You know everything is riding high there in the desert as the... AFC West, as I mentioned earlier, flipped upside down to where Denver, and I know I didn't really talk about them, it was more about the Jets losing, but give it up, Denver and their defense. Also, Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who's going to protect the football, as we've said, he's not going to make silly plays or take big chances with the football. And all you can say is that Vic Fangio is looking sweet right now because a lot of people thought that maybe he could be on the firing line as far as coaches go in the league this year, and... So far, so good, as he's atop sharing that with the Raiders, with the Chargers not too far behind, and then the Chiefs already with a division loss, as we noted earlier, to the Chargers, are in last place in the division. The Vikings, give them credit. They've been able to put up points, they've been able to score, but they've had some bad luck. We talked about the opening week loss to the Bengals a little while ago. All right, on the road, that was tough. You chalk it up to them just not being able to execute down the stretch. Last week in the game in Arizona where they had the game-winning field goal set and ready to go, what happened? It was pushed wide right. So two road losses to come home and they had a pretty much comfortable rocking chair type victory, 30-17 to over the Seahawks. And you wonder about Seattle because this is a team that I thought that would be trending south a little bit. And as it seems right now, with the loss to Tennessee last week and then here on the road, and yes, they could lose on the road and things could happen throughout the course of an NFL season. It could change on a dime, but I do not like that defense by any stretch. And it looks like the Seahawks are going to be the one team in the NFC West that we thought maybe with the Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers could be not just threats for the division, but all four teams making the playoffs. Well, certainly not looking that way right now. And Kirk Cousins, give it up. He's been stellar. He had three touchdowns in the first half alone. And... Let's see where both of these teams head now as we move forward to a week four. And lastly, all I can say about the Steelers is this. I mentioned it last week about the quarterback being old. Obviously, he's not mobile. And not to say that he was going to be confused with Steve Young, because he wasn't. But you're starting to see this Steeler offense crumble right in front of your eyes. And yes, we could blame the offensive line all we want. Absolutely. And rightfully so. 
But the thing is, is that this offense is pretty much a carbon copy of last year. Matt Canada hasn't really thrown in a lot of wrinkles. He hasn't really made it his offense. I get it that he wants to get the ball out of Ben's hands, but it's become very predictable. It's become almost laughable. Because yes, I get it that you can't have Ben standing in the pocket for three, four, five seconds because you're going to see what you saw yesterday or last week against the Raiders to where he's going to be unable to move. That yes, he's going to try to use whatever guile, experience, whatever tricks that he's had throughout his 18-year career, he's going to try to use. But guess what? He's 39 years of age for a reason. He's not going to be able to slip those tackles. He's not going to be able to slide left, slide right to find a window to throw to a receiver. And yes, he does have weapons. But at the same time, when you have a guy that is going to get the ball out of his hands and defenses are going to snuff that out, or if he's going to drop back in the pocket and it's starting to collapse, and what do you expect? Ben is going to try to make a play. He's just not going to throw it away. He's just going to throw it up for grabs. But although he did it twice yesterday in two awful interceptions, So yes, there's so much blame to go around, whether it's Matt Canada and how predictable the offense is, the offensive line, the run game can't really get on track because of the offensive line, Roethlisberger can't stay upright only because he's not mobile, and B, he's a sitting duck back there, and I haven't even talked about the defense, which doesn't have TJ Watt, I know Devin Bush came back, and Joe Hayden, but when you don't have your main pass rusher in the game that could wreck a game at any moment then you're going to have a defense to what you saw yesterday. Not to say that it was pitch and catch all afternoon between Joe Burrow and his receivers, but on the first touchdown, when you have terrible tackling, when it came to Tyler Boyd, obviously James Pierre, who is not by any stretch Rod Woodson, but he gets burned on that touchdown right before the half, which another one that you have to scratch and shake your head as to why Pierre was out there and maybe not Joe Hayden on the young Jamar Chase. All right, maybe he's on the other side, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins in the slot. But still, you can't put that kid out on an island with a young rookie like that. As you saw, he got burned up the sideline. And what you have right now is a team that is grasping for answers, searching for anything. This was a game that they would have liked to have won because it's a division game. You want to be able to get back in the win column after what happened last week. But this offense, you can't wait for week seven, eight, nine for this offensive line to gel because it could be too late. And I'm not saying the Steelers are going to go on to the Super Bowl or make a long playoff run by any stretch. But if your offensive line starts to get it in the middle of the season, you're probably going to be 2-5 and five at that point. And now they got to go to Green Bay next week and people are going to think, oh, geez, they're going to have to go up there in that setting. Granted, it's not going to be frozen tundra, but watch the Steelers actually play well next week and who knows, pull a game out of their ass. I could actually see that. But if you're a Steeler fan like myself, all that I've detailed and highlighted, that's what this team is. An old aging quarterback who's on his last legs that needs an offensive line as big as the Great Wall of China, which is far from it. A skill set where you have good wide receivers. Obviously, you have the good young running back who caught 14 balls, which was the failsafe for Ben yesterday. And his final numbers do not look great. I don't care what you say. But... This team, they're going to have to get it turned around quick, fast, in a hurry. And now with the Ravens, with their miraculous win, and Cleveland, they haven't beaten anybody either. I get the first game was competitive against the Chiefs, but the way we've seen the Chiefs now, you got to wonder, is this going to be a team that's going through the motions this year? 
with two deep Super Bowl runs and then now not being able to get their season on track, you figure they will at some point, but let's face it, they could have lost week one and they gave away the game against the Ravens and then the result yesterday. But we'll see. There's still a lot of football to be played and I just hope that this team turns it around Green Bay next week and it's not going to be easy. Now, as we look at the schedule for week four, the only game that's going to be talked about, and it could be 10 marquee matchups, but the only game that's going to be discussed is the game that's going to take place at 8.20 p.m. and what will probably be a mid-50 degree, cool, crisp, who knows if it's going to be foggy, maybe even rainy, which would be typical Foxborough in early October. But the return of Tom Brady to go up against his former team for the first time and a chance to eclipse an NFL record. Brady is currently 67 yards behind tying Drew Brees for the all-time passing yards leader in NFL history. So pretty much on one drive, he could eclipse that mark. Brees, 80,358 yards Brady, 80,291 yards. You figure they'll do it early. And it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of video tribute prior to the start of the game. And we know all the hoopla. And it's going to be sickening. It really is. You almost wish that the game was over. Because there might as well not be another game being played on Sunday. As I said, you're going to have 10 marquee matchups Sunday. But it's not going to come anywhere close to that game. And with the record, which is, is it a big record? It's not the home run record in baseball. It's not the all-time goals in hockey. And I get it, hockey is very down on the sports food chain. I get it. But five years from now, yeah, you may think that Tom Brady will have the all-time record. But with passing records shattered, it seems, year after year, nobody's going to remember this. Like, if I tell you right now, We know Emmitt Smith is the all-time leading rusher, but could you answer me how many yards he has? You're not going to know how many yards. I believe it's 18,553, something around that. I know it's in that vicinity, but again, I couldn't even answer it, so can you? But anyway, with all that being said, that's going to be the highlight game. You're going to hear it ad nauseum throughout the week. I know Belichick, I made a statement or had a comment about Brady. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick before I move on to the rest of the schedule and then obviously on to other things as the clock is ticking here. But in typical Belichickian fashion, I guess when asked, are you surprised by what Tom Brady has done in Tampa? And he answered back by saying, nothing surprised me about his success. You're not going to get anything out of Belichick and I'm sure you're not going to get anything out of Brady this week. It's going to be such high road content The typical, oh, it's just another game that, yes, I know it's going to be interesting to see him on the other sideline. I'm sure maybe a couple of teammates may come out this week and say something. Maybe Gronk will say something goofy in typical Gronk fashion. But uh, it's only Monday, and I can't even imagine. And I really don't watch a lot of the sports shows, to be honest with you. I don't watch SportsCenter. I don't watch NFL Live. I don't get into all that. You know, I'll peek in on certain other shows or other outlets to get my information. But this game, to me, I just wish it was over and done with because I am not one that's going to be with bated breath or at the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen in this game. 
Because if you looked at the way Mac Jones played yesterday, this could be a carbon copy of what you saw in another 35-10 thrashing where Brady throws for four touchdowns, has 400 yards, and I'm sure at some point you'll probably see him embrace Belichick or probably even quick. There won't even be a hug. I'm sure there'll be that brief handshake and then off to the locker room. So that's what you got with that game. But as far as the other games this week, the Thursday night game, Jacksonville at Cincinnati. Now, this is an interesting game for Cincinnati, I will say this, because with what took place yesterday, they need to follow that up with a win here. It doesn't matter how you get it. If it's not pretty and you sweat out a 13-10 game, okay, you got the win. We all know in the NFL, you never throw wins back. But if they come up with a clunker and Trevor Lawrence throws the ball all over the lot and they get another one of those freaky returns like they did yesterday and Jacksonville steals a 19-17 type game, then that game in Pittsburgh meant nothing. So the Bengals definitely have to look at these three days to say, all right, guys, let's continue. The game's at home. It's in their building. You figure the momentum from yesterday, because of the short week, will carry them through. But let's see how they come out of the gate that Thursday night. And let's face it, it's not going to be one to write home about if you're an NFL football fan. But I guess you get to see Lawrence in his only primetime appearance. So if there's anything worth watching, it's probably that. And to see how the Bengals will shape up here Thursday night. The other games this week, Washington and Atlanta, Houston at Buffalo, Detroit at Chicago, Carolina at Dallas. Eh, That could be interesting, depending on what Dallas does tonight. Indy at Miami, Cleveland, Minnesota, eh. Giants, Saints, Titans, Jets, Kansas City at Philly, Rams hosting Arizona. That is your four o'clock game, and they've got to switch that. Because if they're going to do that Fox doubleheader, because you have both the Jets and Giants at one o'clock here locally, and I believe Pittsburgh at Green Bay is going to be, if it's just the CBS doubleheader, then I guess they can't show Arizona at the Rams, but that should be Fox's window to show that game or to push it up to 425 that they can. Seattle at San Francisco, huge game for the Seahawks. Baltimore at Denver. You actually got some good, really good afternoon games, the late games. I mean, think about this. Your four late games are all very good games. All right, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, I'm not going to get crazy because Pittsburgh's been awful here to start the season. But with the other three games... Granted, Baltimore-Denver is not sexy, but 3-0 and versus 2-1. and And Baltimore having to go on the road again. Third time in four weeks. Let's see what they could do, especially in the Mile High City. And let me get my knockout pool pick out of the way as Vegas had to sweat that one out, but I don't have to worry about that. San Francisco, Cleveland, Las Vegas. Good job to get the season started and... Again, I'm not going to pick Buffalo. It's easy to pick them, but I want to save them for later on. I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm not going to pick Kansas City at Philly. Remember, I can't pick San Francisco anymore. I'm not going to pick them against Seattle anyway. That's too dangerous. Your Monday night game is Las Vegas at Los Angeles. That's a very good game. Very good Monday night game. So that's one to circle. Uh... Geez, I may not have a choice. Should I just pick New Orleans? And why not? Why not? Now that game is going to be in the Superdome, I believe. I don't think they're going to Jacksonville to play that game. I'm picking the Saints. 
And the Saints have killed me in the past, if you remember, for those listening to the podcast for the very first time. Years past, I picked New Orleans week one, especially one year against Washington, and they lost in the opening week. And watch me pick them here against a giant team that is, ugh, as we just highlighted a little while ago, watch them go and pull off an upset in the Big Easy and make me look bad. And that'll be the last time I pick New Orleans unless I absolutely 100% have to. So New Orleans is going to be my knockout pick here for week four. I'm going to get to college real quick only because just to get the football out of the way and I'll turn my attention to baseball, the Ryder Cup, and a couple other things before we say goodbye. College football for a ho-hum boring week, which a lot of people want to look at that Notre Dame-Wisconsin game where Wisconsin had a 13-10 lead in the fourth quarter at Soldier Field, but then they turned on the Jets there, Notre Dame. They got two pick sixes to make the game look more of a blowout than it was. But Notre Dame prevailed, beating Wisconsin. You can forget about them in the Big Ten as Notre Dame still keeps their perch in the top 10. I believe they're still ranked ninth in the country. But the big news was what happened with Clemson. And for the first time since 2014, pretty much the first year that the college football playoff had been instituted, you're not going to see the Tigers there. Losing in double overtime... I know Dabo Sweeney is probably kicking and scratching and screaming at himself, at his team, for what took place as NC State was able to prevail in two OTs, 27-21, the Clemson quarterback, the ukulele, I can't even pronounce his name, people, the ukulele, I could say ukulele, but it's not that, but he did not play well in the game. A lot of people thought, and he probably still will end up being a good quarterback, but many people thought that they were going to be in good hands especially with the way this kid played last year against Notre Dame, if you remember in that loss in uh, South Bend. But he has not shown anything close to that performance or even getting Clemson back to any type of dominance. And with the two losses already in their back pocket, you wouldn't be surprised if a third one came along the way, even in a bad conference as the ACC is. But you could forget about them sniffing anywhere close to a playoff this year is now they're ranked at the bottom of the top 25 losing to NC State and how the mighty have fallen. You knew that once Lawrence went to college that even though you thought the quarterback they would be in good hands but you have not seen that here so far. And we understand the opening game against Georgia they were bulldozed by that defense seven sacks Georgia and not only that but also Clemson lost one of their big defensive players who's going to be pretty much done for the year. So Clemson, after this stretch of dominance, with a bunch of national titles, two that were on their mantle, a couple that they lost, one in particular to Alabama, and you could pretty much forget them for the rest of this year, which is fine because you want to see some new and fresh team talent, I don't want to say blood, in the playoff, and you don't have to worry about them for the remainder of the season. The one team that's starting to come up here a little bit is Arkansas. Now, I got to believe it when I see it when it comes to this team because they beat Texas A&M 20-10 there on Saturday. But let's see this later on in the year, especially in particular against Alabama when they have to go to Tuscaloosa the Saturday before Thanksgiving. To me, that's going to be the true test. And not only that, but they still have their work cut out for them between now and then. Now, you think they're going to do well here? They probably will lose a game between now and then. I believe they have LSU, and LSU's not LSU as we know, but 
that's a team that LSU, you know they're going to get up for. Even as they've fallen off the map just winning a title two years ago and now they're nowhere to be found on the college football landscape. But with Alabama, still a ways to go. And if you're Arkansas, you can't look that far ahead. And I'm sure they're reading the press clippings. I'm sure they're feeling good. I'm sure they're thinking that, hey, we could maybe make some noise, make a dent in the college football playoff. Well, November 20th, we'll be here before you know it. But a lot of football to be played between now and then. We'll definitely keep an eye on the Razorbacks and see how they perform. But that's going to be the game. Because even if they go undefeated to that point, or even if they have one loss, if they beat them in Tuscaloosa, that is going to go a long way for them making the college football playoff. So with that, we have to keep in mind. Other than that, it was a rather dull college football week. Nothing really to get crazy about. And as we look at the schedule for now will be week five. And I believe this week is not that good either. This is usually the week of the Red River shootout, Oklahoma and Texas. And as we look ahead to this college football weekend, and here it is. Here we are talking about Arkansas. And I didn't have my schedule in front of me until just a second ago. And the true test. We talked about Alabama just, what, 30 seconds ago? Well, yes, college football fans, I know. I should have known that Georgia was going to be on the docket. So if Arkansas really wants to impress you, here's the game. Beat Georgia here. Or at least if you're going to lose, you got to lose close. Because... If you lose a close game and then beat Alabama down the road without losing again, you still put yourself in decent position. But now they have the 12 o'clock window, which will be on ESPN. Everybody's going to have their eyes focused on that game. So I am anticipating to see what's going to happen there. I'm going to look forward to that. You also have Cincinnati at Notre Dame, where Cincinnati has been a team that could also make some hay. A lot of people think that they can make the college football playoff, although a school that pretty much plays in a nondescript conference and now having Notre Dame, the independent, having to go to South Bend, another team. You want to show and prove? You want to shock the world to see that you belong with the Alabamas, with the Georgias, with the Oklahomas, etc.? Well, here's the game right now to prove it. So we'll see how that game shakes down, and that's at 2.30, So although it overlaps the Arkansas-Georgia game, you could pretty much go to that game, whether it's close, you're going to stick with it. But if it's a blowout where Georgia's just manhandling Arkansas, then at 2.30 you could go check out the Fighting Irish. And then later on you have Ole Miss and Alabama. And that pretty much ends your college slate because the Saturday night game is Indiana at Penn State. And Penn State, as we see, ranked number four in the country. Other than that, I mean, Baylor and Oklahoma State, Is that a game where I understand it's two ranked teams going up against one another, but is anybody going to run to the sets for that? And give it up for Baylor as they beat Iowa State the other day, and Iowa State ranked 14th in the country at the time, but not too many people are going to gravitate to see what's going to happen there between those two squads as everybody's going to focus in on the 12, 230, and even the 330 game if you want to look at Alabama as well. So that's what you got there for college football. Now let's turn our attention to some baseball because we're into the final week of the season. This long marathon is now at the 26th mile and we got .2 to go. 
And the two teams that have been front and center, that have been now laser focused, one team red hot and the other team white hot. And I'm going to start with the Cardinals because this streak is now becoming absurd. They've won 16 games in a row. They've done it in comeback fashion. They've steamrolled through everybody. I mean, think about it. They had a four-game series in Milwaukee and trailed in the final game and turned that around. They were down 5-1 in the game and ended up winning 8-5. Which makes you wonder, is this team peaking a little bit too soon? Or are we watching the 2007 Colorado Rockies revisited in the jerseys of the St. Louis Cardinals? And for those who don't remember that, the Colorado Rockies had a run where they won 21 of 22 games to end the season, including being four and a half games down in the wild card with nine games to go, winning a tiebreaker against San Diego where before replay, the guy was out at the plate because he didn't touch on plate. I forgot what the runner was, but they called him safe. But if the game was played today, he would have been out and it would have continued on to extra innings because that was the winning run by the Rockies. Where they steamrolled through the playoffs, they swept the Phillies, they swept Arizona, and then what happened to them? After that week layoff, they got swept by the Red Sox in the World Series. Are we seeing that? Or are we seeing a team that's peaking to the point where Not to say they're going to take their foot off the gas. Not to say they're going to relax because they pretty much have a lock on the second wildcard spot in the NL so they could align their pitching to next week, whether they play the Dodgers or Giants. But you got to wonder, is this team going to be up for that? They're going to be up for the game, of course. But is the clock going to strike 12 on this team? That's what you have to wonder because this team's playing out of their minds right now. Out of their minds to the point, get ready for this. And I know nobody cares. Jay Reels, oh, big whoop. But I was going to go two and four my over-unders. And without this 16-game winning streak, and I had them picked at 88 as an over, St. Louis. This 16-game winning streak, they just need to win two more games, and I got it. And you figure they got six games left, they're going to win two or four. Now, of course, I probably just jinxed it. I should have waited until next week. But I figured I'd just wrap this up right now because I lost with the Marlins at 73 and a half. I lost with the... Twins, 89.5, really bad. And then I picked St. Louis at 88 as an over. That would have been three losses right there. Although my my unders were good. I picked Padres under 92, very good. I picked the Cubs under 79.5. I understand the fire sale right before the trade deadline, but still. And then Toronto, who right now is at 85 wins, and their over on the win total was 86. So they're going to win. And I hope they sweep the next three games, which I'll get into in a minute. But with the Cardinals, what can you say? Just a phenomenal job, and we'll talk about them next week, and we'll see how they play out this week, because they do have the Brewers at home, and I believe they also end their season with the Cubs. So you would think that they're going to end up minimum 4-2 and here. So the Cardinals will have the second wild card. It's already locked. I believe they have a five-game lead. So they're good there. And then the other side on the American League with the wild card, the Yankees, who last week, as I was on the pod talking about, all right, they have Texas coming in, but now they have the stretch where they got to go to Boston, to Toronto, and then close out with Tampa. Well, they swept Texas. And mind you, this came after 11-1 and 11-3 losses to the Indians at home. Swept through Texas, 
swept through the Red Sox where I think Jean-Claude Stanton just hit another home run. He's been unconscious. Aaron Judge has been contributing. So you can't look at them if the Yankees don't make it to the postseason. Well, we do have to wait and see what these, this upcoming six games and how they play out. But the Yankees not only went into Fenway and swept them, but they overtook the first wildcard spot because there were two games behind them going into the weekend. And now they have the top spot to where the Red Sox are one game behind the Yanks. Toronto is a game behind the Red Sox for the second wildcard spot. And then give it up to Seattle because they're also a game behind the Blue Jays three back for the second wildcard spot. And chances are Seattle's not going to make it, but they've been playing well here. And give it up to them. Even Oakland, I know they have an outside shot. They're four back and they just swept the Astros over the weekend. But you can't discount Seattle. I get it. But this is pretty much a three-team race for the one spot. Whether it's Boston, Toronto, Seattle. And when you look at this upcoming week, Yankees, they go to Toronto and talking about them, I can see the Yankees with some payback here. Now they won six in a row. Can they go nine in a row? Remember, they got embarrassed by Toronto at the stadium a few weeks ago to where they didn't even have a lead in any of the four games and they got swept. So you know they're going to want to return the favor. Now the series doesn't start until tomorrow and the Blue Jays have their pitching lined up perfectly. With Ryu, Berrios, and the starter for the third game is Robbie Ray. And the Yankees are going to pitch Jamison Tyon, Garrett Cole, and Corey Kluber. So you're going to have some very good matchups here, which I'm sure they're going to be hotly contested games. Toronto lost a couple of games to Minnesota over the weekend, but they did take the back two. I can see the Yankees maybe not sweeping, but I can see them taking two out of three. I'm sure in the back of their minds, they remember what happened at the stadium. I know they're going to try to take full control of the series and control their destiny to want to host that playoff game a week from tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. And even with Tampa coming in and Tampa, they already clinched the division and you don't have to worry about them getting their pitch in the line because they pretty much use openers to start off their games at that. But with the Yankees, you just need to win two out of three here. I could say you could win a game. I know that's fine. But here's the Red Sox schedule the rest of the week. And that's not to say that just because they're going to Baltimore and Washington that it's a foregone conclusion they're going to win four out of six, five out of six, or sweep sweep all six games. That I'm not trying to tell you here. But I'm sure the Yankees know that they want to be able to host this game. A lot of people thought that they were going to be dead to rights especially after the Cleveland series. And now that they've turned it around, they want to continue to go straight ahead, full steam into October, knowing that they could host that first game. And then they can roll the dice at that point, whether it's the Red Sox, whether it's Toronto or Seattle, that's going to come in their building for the wild card game. So I can see the Yankees putting some hurting on Toronto. Toronto's done very well against the Yankees this year. So they're gonna have to do it one more time. Even if they win two out of three, I don't expect Toronto to sweep again. But I can see the Yankees winning two out of three here. And then the final weekend, I can see them winning two out of three against the Rays. They'll make it to the postseason. And you have to say the Red Sox right now only because of who they're playing. Now, Toronto, they do have Baltimore coming into their building to close out the year. Who knows? Seattle, on the other hand, again, you have to throw them in the mix. Seattle is looking at six games, three against Oakland and... Three against LA. Remember, they swept four games in Oakland last week. 
And you would think that they're going to try to use some of that momentum against them in their building over the course of the next three days. And then they have the Angels. So Seattle does have it right in front of them. Not an easy schedule, even though the games are at home. But we have to throw them in the mix because of how close they are. And Oakland, again, four back. They close out their season in Houston, if I'm not mistaken, after these games against the Mariners. And next week, people, will certainly go full in. Now, one other thing before I move on. When we look at the two divisions in the NL East and West, can't forget those guys, because I know this has been such a wild card-driven pennant chase that we can't forget what's going to take place in the NL. The Phillies had a tough loss. They got shut out yesterday by the Pirates. So now they go to Atlanta for three games starting tomorrow. Three back in the loss. Two and a half in the division. They have to sweep. Because Atlanta has the Mets coming in and the Mets have lost 10 of the last 11. So you would think that the Phillies need to control their own destiny by just running the table. And then after they finish with the Braves, they go to Miami for three games and we know Miami could be a pain in the neck. So keep that in mind. As for the NL West, the Dodgers and Giants, the Giants have a two-game lead over the Dodgers to where the Giants will be hosting as well as the Dodgers. So no road games for either one of these teams. The Giants will be at home against Arizona and then San Diego. The Dodgers will be at home against San Diego and then Milwaukee. Now Milwaukee... They have the division, have everything wrapped up there, so you don't have to worry about it, but they're going to get their pitching aligned. If you're LA, I understand you probably have the division in your sights only because you want to avoid having that one-game playoff. But I would think that they're just going to focus on them. They're going to let the chips fall. If so be it after these three games that they head into the final weekend, let's say a game back or even tied, then I'm sure they'll reassess Now, they're not going to do much as far as their pitching rotation goes. Maybe they'll do a tweak or two in their starting lineup. But I think the Dodgers, they're just looking at it as like, we're making the postseason. We know that. We understand that the Cardinals are hot. But if we're in first place and we win a division, fantastic. If not, bring on the Cardinals. Now, as it plays out, if both the Dodgers and Giants end up tied, because the season series was won by the Giants, they will host... Monday to see who will win the division and the same will go for Philly and Atlanta now I have to check to see who would win the season series but again with them being three back all the Braves need to do is win one game so I'm not going to get into the tiebreakers there anything could happen there with the Giants and Dodgers I think the Giants are going to be in good shape I can't see them collapsing they've had a season that no one in their craziest mind Whatever predicted. They're 102 and 54. Who would have thought that? So I would think, and one last thing before I move on. I would think that Major League Baseball, they're going to look at this wild card game very closely. Whether it's the Dodgers or the Giants. Because if St. Louis somehow, some way upset either one of those two teams. So you may have an 104 or 105 win team get knocked out by a team that was almost 20 games behind them in the standings overall. And one fan base and one organization in particular is going to be highly upset knowing that they had all this success and this 
phenomenal season for it to go by the wayside that if Paul Goldschmidt in the first inning hits a three-run homer and the Cardinals are off and running to start the game that the Dodgers or Giants are going to be tight a little bit. Maybe not so much so the Dodgers only because they have all this playoff experience. They've been there and it's not to discount what the Giants have done over the years. But again, this season, this team has come out of nowhere to have this type of year, which is unfathomable when you think about it. But... We'll talk about that next week and obviously in the weeks to come on the effect of that team that should be in the division round will have to play a wild card game and the possibility of them losing that game, what it can mean for baseball and maybe even changing the rules when it comes to qualifying for the postseason. So we're going to have to keep that in mind. All right, I'm going to turn my attention to the golf for the minute because the Ryder Cup was over the weekend. Ryder Cup's every two years. Last year, obviously, because of COVID, did not have the tournament, so it was moved to this year, which is usually the quote-unquote last major of the golf season. But a lot of this talk heading into Friday, which took place in Wisconsin at Whistling Straits, and you have to wonder, a lot of the talk about the U.S., and putting this team together by the captain, Steve Stricker, and knowing that you have two of the top golfers in the world who were pretty much like barking dogs at one another all year long in Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, and for him to put this team together to not have Patrick Reed as part of this roster or Webb Simpson, guys that obviously in their own right are very good golfers, and are reputable and certainly worthy of being on this team. But by making those few tweaks and also having guys like Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, who was 5-0 in his matches, was the first American to do so in 42 years. And we all know Dustin Johnson's had a horrible year, especially when it's come to the majors. But I think what happened here over the week leading into the match starting off on Friday was that the U.S. was tired of the European dominance who had won 9 of 12 Ryder Cups going back to 1995. And then to couple that with the DeChambeau-Kepka angle where a lot of people thought that, oh, you can't have these guys on the same team. These guys can't stand each other. It's only going to cause more havoc. Who knows what it's going to be like for this team as they not only kick off the tournament, but... Going into the weekend, can we count on these guys? Are their heads going to be straight? Are they going to be thinking about one thing, not the other? Not focused on competing? Well, all you saw over the weekend was complete dominance to the point where they won 19-9 in just surprising, let's start there, and dominant fashion. Which made me think that a lot of the fuel for them performing well, and of course it's about them performing, we understand that, but I think... What they did is they got in the room probably Tuesday, Wednesday, or maybe even Thursday night. Maybe they sat around a dinner table and said, hey guys, Brooks, we know you don't get along with Bryson. I know I chose this guy over that guy, bringing in a guy like Tony Finau or even Scotty Scheffler. And for them to commiserate and to get on the same page to say, can we put our differences aside We just want to win this tournament. We want to do whatever it takes. We just want our best for these next three days to show 
that not only we are capable, but also to go out there and to not only just show the Europeans, but to show the golf world that we mean business, that we could put this aside. That even at the end yesterday, Justin Thomas was instigating both DeChambeau and Kepka to hug it out and embrace. Now, that was a little bit phony at the end. I'm sure they were exhilarated with the way they performed over the weekend and they took the picture with the trophy and Thomas egging him on. And the next thing you know, Kepka had his arms up. DeChambeau was in the back row. He had to come all the way down around and they hugged it out with the trophy. All right, that was contrived. I didn't hear any quotes from either one of those guys. I know Stricker, the captain, said that, hey, those guys made it possible for them to come out on top and be victorious. And I think that's not going to go away. I'm sure for a weekend they said, the hell with it. Let's just do this for U.S. Let's do this for our team. And now I'm sure they probably can't stand each other's guts. Because why would that be any different knowing that Stricker and the rest of that team said, come on guys, just for this weekend, put the ego, put the pride, put all that aside and let's just do this for us. And that's what they did and kudos to those guys. Kudos to the whole team for that matter. Because I don't think anybody expected this type of dominance. Yeah, was anybody shocked that the U.S. won? Probably not. I'm sure in certain golf circles they probably said about time. But for, whew, wait a minute, what? To just be flawless throughout the weekend and to put it on the Europeans, that was one I'm sure nobody ever expected. And that's on top of Dustin Johnson pretty much sweeping his matches. And as I indicated before, with the type of season he had, that was even another surprise. So maybe the golf gods had it out for the U.S. team to come out victorious and to smell the roses and to end the golf season on such a high note that, hey, for two years they could take that bragging right and show the rest of the world that, yes, this U.S. team comprised of the players that were mentioned were able to not only throttle, but dismantle the European team. All right, quickly to the NBA, because with training camps opening up, and I know the big story today here, and not just locally, but I'm sure as you will probably hear throughout the league and throughout the country, is Kyrie Irving, who did not make it to media day at the Barclays Center because of the strong coronavirus restrictions, especially in New York and in Northern California, as I'm sure you probably heard about Andrew Wiggins, the Golden State Warrior forward who was looking for an exempt because of religious beliefs and not getting the vaccination, but that's been denied. So who knows between now and the start of the season whether or not Andrew Wiggins is going to get vaccinated. As we found out earlier, every New York Knickerbocker has been vaccinated, so the Knicks are fine to play indoors, and that's the whole point of getting the vaccine because obviously if players are going to be unvaccinated and they're going to be breathing heavily on the sidelines and within distance of patrons, and I don't know how they're going to have the arena set up because as we've seen over the course of the last two years or in particular last year with the fans slowly but surely coming back into the building where behind the benches was pretty much open and they extended them back as opposed to them having it just across as you've normally seen it throughout history when we watch basketball. And mind you, this is the 75th anniversary for the league. So it's going to be interesting to see how 
they take care of that and I'm sure they're going to have a big celebration during the All-Star break that they had 25 years ago with the 50th anniversary but I digress with Irving and him not participating the team overall they feel confident that Kyrie's going to be there at some point quoting Kevin Durant and that is going to be a story as we've said time after time with Kyrie whether it's taking the mental health days whether it's taking leaves of absence on his own will as we saw last year is this going to be the same story this year will the front office sit down with Kyrie and said hey can something be worked out they need to do that now if they haven't done so already and if they haven't done so right now shame on them whether you're Sean Marks or even the owner Joseph Tsai because they cannot have a carbon copy of what took place last year by Irving just taking days off when he feels like it and we're going to see we'll see if Kyrie's going to be suited up game one with the team for tip-off on opening night. And I believe they're going to Milwaukee as they raise their banner to the rafters to kick off this NBA season. But the other story coming from last week is Ben Simmons. And we've talked about this for weeks on end. And now it's come to a boil where Simmons wants out of Philadelphia. He's not going to report to camp. He's not going to get suspended because of the collective bargaining agreement, yes, he's going to get fined, but not the amounts, the obscene amounts that we thought were going to be projected in upwards of about $270,000 per day. That's what he would get if this was already into an NBA season. He'd be docked game checks. But now the effect of this team, the storyline number one is how soon can they get him off of the squad? They need to do so pretty much within the next 10 days. The NBA season, I believe off the top of my head, when does it start? October 19th so that's three weeks from tomorrow and the sooner the better but what's going to happen here are they going to engage with Portland to see if they can bring in Damian Lillard are they going to engage engage with Dallas are they going to engage with the Clippers we know the lower level teams they're not going to I understand they could probably try to do so they're going to have to send a boatload of picks but remember they got to have the Match up with the contracts. Simmons is owed $140 million over the next four years. So even if you're Oklahoma City, you could send them all the draft picks that they've been able to compile over the last three years, but that's not going to be enough. Not that Oklahoma City would do that. We know they're not going to go anywhere near that contract. But my point is, is that you could send them 10 first round picks and get Simmons back. But you're going to ruin your salary cap because of what you're bringing in return and what you're giving up. So what this marriage is going to be like between one organization to the next to bring in Simmons to that ball club is the big giant question mark. And not only that, but how this is going to affect this team early on in training camp because all the questions are going to surround Ben Simmons. So whether you're Joel Embiid, whether you're Tobias Harris, or whether you're the last guy on the roster, they're going to have to answer the question. The thoughts of Ben Simmons and the progress of this trade. How is it affecting the mood of this team? How is it affecting your training camp? How is him not being here affect your starting lineup? And it's going to be forever. You would think a deal. I'm sure GM Daryl Morey of the Sixers is working the phones as we speak. But that's the first one. It's not a matter of the trading partner. Yes, it's important because we need to know who they're going to trade with here. Understood. But at the same time, 
you got to wonder whether or not the effect that it's going to have on this team, whether today was their media day or tomorrow, because it's going to be all about Ben Simmons. So you would think that they're probably going to have to get back less than what they were hoping for. Because if they're looking for the perfect deal or if they're looking for an overabundance, they can forget it. Now I understand they can't just get a bunch of basketballs in return. It's going to have to match up to some degree, but you would almost think that the organization that's going to trade for him, the ball's in their court. Because they may not have to give up that extra draft pick or they may not have to give up that extra player to where the Sixers, they may not have no choice but to do that. They may not have a choice to not get an extra number one pick or to get back an extra player. They may have to just settle. Because they cannot have training camp and God forbid a regular season where he's going to get paid and sit on the sidelines because there's going to be some agreement that's going to get worked out. It's going to be a disaster. So that soap opera is going to continue. How that's going to end, I have no clue. But they need to get rid of him quick, fast, in a hurry just so they can move on and get that divorce settled and move on with their business. And then NHL training camp and actually exhibition games have begun as the season, I believe, when does it start? October 12th. So we got the NHL. I know you had a couple things there with Evgeny Malkin. He's going to be out the first two months of the season recovering from knee surgery and that coupled with the Sidney Crosby wrist surgery that he had that he's not going to start the season. So two of the aging vets of the league on the Penguins will not be seen in the not-too-distant future. The Speaking of soap operas, the Jack Eichel soap opera continues in Buffalo as he failed his physical, stripped of his captaincy. He's probably going to be similar to Ben Simmons. He's going to get paid and sit out We're probably not going to see him. They're going to try to consummate a deal. And then I'm sure wherever he goes, he'll get his surgery. And that's been the impasse between the organization and his representation. So, yeah, that's just a mess up there in Buffalo. And in the wild, they signed their Calder Trophy winner of Rookie of the Year last year. Kirill Kaprizov, five years, $45 million. I'm sure to the joy of my guy, Headstyle in Minnesota. So NHL will be on our radar soon. Obviously the NBA, especially with this Ben Simmons scenario. And if you want to even talk Kyrie Irving with the vaccination, that's one to look out for as we head into training camp. As the fall has begun and the fall and winter sports will be ushered in and the summer sport will soon be ushered out. And as we all know, football, it's going to reign supreme. So we have the great month of October, one of the best sports months of the year on the horizon. Lots to chew on there. But first, as we close out, my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to former NBA guard J.J. Redick. Retires after 17 years in the NBA. We all know him as a graduate of Duke, where he made his bones as a sharpshooter there. Down in Tobacco Road for the Blue Devils. And then was just on a million NBA teams. Orlando just recently with the New Orleans Pelicans. Of course, we know him as a Los Angeles Clipper, but a guy who was a lethal shooter, I believe is in the top five all time in three pointers. Excellent career. He's also been a podcaster. I'm sure you probably know by now he has his own pod that's out. All you got to do is type JJ Reddick podcast. And that's going to be pretty much the beginning of his next career or his next chapter in life. Kudos to you, my man. You are my hero of the week and my zero of the week 
goes out to Cowboys offensive lineman Lael Collins. As we all know, he was suspended after the opening game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for violating the substance abuse policy in the league. Well, now he just added another layer to that because he was going to have his suspended reduced to two games based on an appeal, but then now it has been known that he tried to bribe the test collector in the process of either switching out a sample or just paying him off to say, hey, that wasn't my particular sample, whatever it was, but man, Lael, what were you trying to do? I get it, you were trying to get back on the field, you were trying to sweep this under the rug, but man, that is just bad business all about. So once the NFL caught wind, well, now you're going to be suspended for the full five games. I hope it was worth it, my guy, but unfortunately, you are my zero of the week. And that'll do it, episode 216 in the books, but not in the books for the month of September. Tune in on Thursday as my special guest is going to be anchor of SNY's Sports Night in New York, Chris Williamson. He will share his story, his journey throughout broadcasting of him growing up as a boy, following his favorite team, sports, getting into the business, coming out of college, the various avenues of what the broadcasting business has, not only just from the sake of being in front of the camera, hosting a weekly sports night show, but also behind the scenes when it comes to podcasting, behind the camera, a lot that we get into in reference to his career and reference to broadcasting right now. I get it's more of a local flair, him being in New York, but he did work in very interesting parts of the country in very interesting times when it comes to the sports world and big events that were taking place. So you definitely don't want to miss that. That'll be out on Thursday, September 30th, my final one of the month and also my second one as you know I want to put out two podcasts a week which the second one will be a guest and the best way by increasing the visibility as you heard in the beginning and I'll briefly say now please subscribe rate review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts because I want to have more guests like Chris Williamson whether it's the former athlete current athlete studio host broadcaster you name it so it'll be great to have Chris's journey being shared on Thursday but with your participation in doing so, to get some visibility for this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, and also write a review. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following by DM at JReels or the JReels Podcast on Instagram. JReels1, just the number on Twitter. The JReels Podcast on my Facebook fan page or the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to hit me up. I'll be quick to follow up with you guys ASAP. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy. What that will do will continue with the upkeep of the website, equipment, production on everything that I do here to put out this podcast week in and week out to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, as you well know or may not know. Because this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I've been talking sports my whole life. You know the theory. If you've done something for 10,000 hours, you've pretty much mastered it. And I think I probably put in my lifetime, I would say at least 30,000 hours. So keep coming back, people. I appreciate each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. 216 in the books. I hope to put 2,216 more 
as I talk about everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until Thursday, next podcast, Chris Williamson. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>